Marlins making further moves in their front office. They get their new scouting director. However, the roster remains relatively unchanged. When are they going to start turning their attentions to the big league roster? This is Locked on Marlins. You are Locked on Marlins, your daily podcast on the Miami Marlins. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings from England and welcome to Locked On Marlins. This is your Daily Marlins podcast. I'm your host, of course, Peter Pratt. Hit me up on X, formerly known as Twitter, at Miami Marlins underscore UK. Of course, if you're listening to the pod, hit subscribe and leave a review there. And thank you for joining me and making Locked On Marlins your first listen of the day. There is a YouTube channel as well, guys. Head on over there, hit subscribe to the YouTube channel. It's called Locked On Marlins. You can find me there. You can hit subscribe there too. And if you join me on YouTube, you will see graphics and the rundown, so you know what we're going to be talking about. But for those that don't have the graphics to help, let me fill in the blanks. We are we're going to be talking about Frankie going to Miami. Frankie goes to Miami. The front office, to me, looks like it is almost fully rounded out. That seemed to be priority number one. Big trade is in the works, seemingly, via Craig Mish, not to satisfy the big league roster, more so to restock the farm. Are the Marlins rebuilding? Are they? Sounds like it to me. I'm one of the big names being talked about thus far and is all over every outlet at this point. Jesus Lozado, is he the big name ticket that ends up going out of Miami for them to restock the farm? Tons to get into. It, it is, it's mid-December, guys, and the Marlins, there's still drama. Uh, there's still speculation. And there is... A lot of chaos happening right now in Marlin's Twitter is how I would describe it. This episode is sponsored by our good friends over at FanDuel. You can make every moment more. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 money line bet. That's $150. If your team wins, visit FanDuel.com slash locked on to get started. All right, guys. So we will start with the news that the Marlins have added another piece to their front office puzzle. And this has been, when you look at like the 2023, 2024 off season, is it the 23 off season? Is it the 24? Anyway, it's still 23. So let's call it that. When we reflect on what the 23 off season has brought, it's effectively been a, a, a restructure uh, from a front office perspective. They have gone through a, Company and corporate restructure. Kim Ang out. Peter Bendix in. DJ Spillick out. And now Frankie Pillier is in. Boy, oh boy, what is it with the Marlins and them hiring, being connected with, interviewing, however you want to phrase it, just names that have challenges around pronunciation. Like, can we just get Frank Jones in the house? But no, we've got Frankie. Pillier. So Frankie goes to Miami, and that is a big piece of this Marlins puzzle. Fundamentally, when we look at the challenges that the Marlins are facing into right now, they're facing into these challenges fundamentally because their drafting has been significantly below par. Significantly. Talked about this on plenty of episodes thus far, and the everydays will know this, but for me, 
for me, the ultimate red flag appeared with the selection of Jacob Berry. That was a moment that I think things really shifted where they made that pick, everyone slammed them for it, and everyone else seemed to be correct. And I think at that point, DJ Spillick was on the hot seat. Kim Ang seemingly was connected and happy with DJ Spillick. They, those two, um, you know, Kim wanted to continue to work with DJ. So, you know, as soon as Kim was gone, clearly then, um, you know, DJ Spillick was, was out of here too. So the Marlins go in a different direction. And they've gone, when I think about the front office moves, they have gone, you know, they've gone in the direction we've expected. They've gone young. They've gone analytically driven. They've gone in a different, they've taken a different approach, more of a raise approach. And we'll continue to hear that over and over and over again. The Marlins, for years we've talked about the Marlins should try to be like the Rays, but they never have done for whatever reason. Now, things have changed. The Marlins are actually, they're actively trying to emulate the Rays. And why not? That's the question, is why not? They should absolutely be trying to emulate the Rays because fundamentally they're working under the same constraints. And the Rays, and in recent times, have demonstrated that they have the ability, and, and these guys, and this model delivers those results. However, the challenge you face in the near term, and this is why Marlin's Twitter's going crazy, there is going to be a period where you have to reset the organization to deliver on the Rays model. Unfortunately, the Marlins right now are not set up to deliver on that Rays model. Things have to change. That's what's pretty clear at this point. The big league roster is the big league roster at this point. They've got a lot of money tied up in like four dudes, and they've got a big arbitration class. Um, and and some other young studs knocking around, clearly Yuri Perez being like the crown jewel of, of, of them. So the reality is the farm system, though, isn't really going to be developing or delivering anything in this kind of like conveyor belt of talent situation. And this is at the heart of the change. We've spoken about this on, on Locked on Marlins. And so I completely understand that. You know when you know when you see a directional change? And, and for me, Bruce Sherman... Um, us come out of all of this, like looking like a guy that knows what he's doing, to be honest with you. He can spot the challenges. He's looking to implement change. And the the, the direction of travel makes a ton of sense. It really does. And you just look around, who are the most successful low-budget um, clubs? It's the Tampa Bay Rays. Then you go and get guys from the Rays that have been in there and know it inside out, back to front, like Peter Bendix does, because he spent pretty much his whole career there at the race. You go and get him, and he knows what to do. He knows where to turn to. He knows how to evaluate players and talent, and potentially where to draft as well. Frankie Pillier will help on that too. I don't even know if that's the correct pronunciation, by the way. So at some point, I'll probably fact check on that, and it's going to be something completely different. But for me... It looks and feels right with Pillier. Um, there's no accent on it, though. And it's a bit like the Luis Robert situation. Like, Luis Robert, it should be Luis Robert, shouldn't it? I don't know why I'm segueing into that, but anyway. Um, either way, I think it's a really interesting hire. Just to kind of touch on this now and get into the details. I don't know much about Frankie Pillier, to be honest with you. And But what we do know is he comes over from the Mariners, 
spent, <clears throat> I think, six seasons with the Mariners. Um, and for him, this is a, a promotion. So he hasn't been doing this role specifically prior. He's been doing, you know, I guess an assistant scouting guy. Um, so it's going to be a step up for him. He's a young guy. He's always been a prospects guy. The funny thing is, too, he used to be covering prospects and writing about prospects. So a lot of his work is like is out there in the public domain <coughs> from, um, I think, D1 Baseball, I think, was the site. So this is the interesting bit. Is like you can work out, like you can go backwards in time and work out like how close or not was was he to the 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 reality, which I think is always the interesting bit, right? That's the point of these guys is about identifying talent and then projecting talent. Clearly, there's steps that have to happen in the meantime, but I think it's really interesting. I did see an article that he'd written on Jesus Lozado, which is timely for this episode, so we'll talk about that in the second part, but effectively saying that he thinks Lozado has the ability to be a stud, and uh, frankly, that's been realized I'm not sure if um, if that's, you know, I, I probably want to see other examples. Like, I feel like Lozado's always been heavily projectable. Um, things just went a bit wonky for him in in Oakland. And, um, and you know, him and Mel have worked together really effectively, made some changes, got the glasses back on, loads of things there with Lozado. But, you know, he comes from the Mariners. The Mariners in recent times, it feels, it feels, it isn't, you know, fully confirmed at this point, but it feels like they have made some you know, interesting and good decisions from a draft perspective. The one that stood out to me and is close to my heart is back to the 2021 draft where the reporting around that was that the Marlins were heavily, heavily interested in Great Britain's Harry Ford. The Marlins were looking to take Harry Ford. However, the Mariners took Harry Ford before the Marlins. Uh, Harry Ford... For those that maybe haven't followed his career that closely, he was a massive part of the great British team uh, in the WBC last offseason, uh, had a huge impact. Uh, great Britain ended up really performing well and sealing their spot in next the next WBC. Harry Ford, a big part of that. Do you remember the Great British celebration where they had like the crown on, the cape, et cetera, et cetera? It was, it was a lot of fun, but Harry Ford, to me, looks like an absolute stud. And so for me, that's the one that really stands out where... You know, Frankie was, I think, a big part of that decision. They take Harry Ford. In the same draft, the Marlins end up taking Joe Mack. Um, so that kind of maybe shows, I get it, there's like quite a difference in, in, you know, it was both first-round picks, but Harry Ford was taken earlier. The Marlins were looking for a catcher. They wanted Harry Ford. They had identified that, but they got gazumped. And, uh, you know, the rest is history, I guess, on that one. Um, let's continue this conversation. I want to talk about this front office and where it's kind of up to right now. Equally, Craig Mish. You know, he put out his article with Barry Jackson. I did mention that it was pretty underwhelming if you're looking for, like, hot stove information because, really, that's kind of where the Marlins are at this offseason. But what he did talk about on Twitter after, which I think is really interesting and where my head has been at, is there's going to be a big trade, but it's going to be a big trade to maybe restock the farm and get in some younger talent into this organization. That, to me, smells like, sounds like, and probably is a bit of a rebuild. Is that what the Marlins fans want to be hearing? Probably not. But as we've already talked about, this organization is going in a different direction right now, and they need time to put the foundations in place. That means, in my opinion anyway, most likely, 
that the Marlins heading into next season off the back of a postseason run, a bit like in 2020, it may end up being a bit of a damp squib. Let's call it that in uh, 24. Nevertheless, this episode is brought to you by our good friends over at FanDuel, of course, guys. Uh, and you can, well, as the weather gets colder, and it is it is cold now, it is December, the NFL offers they stay hot, baby. Scorching hot on FanDuel. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 money line bet. That's 150 bucks if your team wins. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time to get in on the action. The app, well, it's super easy to use, and they have all of the betting options you need, including spreads, player props, over-unders, and more. So visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn and kick off the NFL season. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. All right, guys, you're here with me, Peter Pratt, on, well, Saturday, the 16th of December. I'm going to have a quick sip of this coffee, and then we'll keep it rolling with the front office, trade rumors, including Jesus Lozado. There we go. Okay. So, with this news around Frankie Pillier, <laughs> for me, the Marlins, like, when I think about what the priorities were, it was to reform, restructure this front office. That was priority one. Not always the sexiest thing, you know, particularly when other clubs are signing other players and trades are happening, et cetera, et cetera. It isn't the sexiest thing, but it's the most necessary thing that they had to do. Kim Ang out, Peter Bendix in, build out the staff fast. And use guys that you know, that you trust, that you believe in. All of those things. That's where Peter Bendix has gone with this one. I think, to be honest with you, when you grade the offseason for the Marlins, at this point, it feels above average. Even though they've made pretty much, well, they've made zero free agent moves. N not a shocker. They've made a couple of minor trades with the Rays. But when I grade this offseason for the Marlins, based on what's happened in the front office, I still see this as a net positive. I still see this offseason thus far. Even though, you know, you've lost Sandy and you've lost Soler, you know, there's holes. There's holes to fill. But the front office, to me, is, set, is setting this organization up significantly for future success in a way that it wasn't structured prior to that. So... There's going to be maybe some short-term pain, guys. And, you know, we it's tough as baseball fans because, listen, a 1-6-2 season when your team is not playing well is not a fun product. We've seen that many. I've seen it many a times. I've only been a fan since 2016, and I have seen it more often than not. Um, look, last year was, was a whole, you know, it was fun. It was really fun to be in it, fighting all the way, adding at the deadline. It was really fun. And overall, my sense at this point for 24 is it's more unlikely than likely that the Marlins are buying at the deadline. Let me just put it that way. Because I think, and let's segue into it, Craig Mish talking about we think a big deal could be done this offseason. The big deal is going to center around, let me just tell you it'll center around, it'll center around one of the guys that are in advanced arbitration or getting more expensive and... They and and the view is to try to restock the farm. That was the they were the words that Craig Mish used. They're looking to restock the farm. Does that mean that you know that that to me is like a we're looking to sell a Christian Yelich and restock the farm? Um, that's what it smells like to me, which smells like in some ways a bit of a reboot and a rebuild. The Marlins won't call it that, 
They absolutely won't. And I think it's going to be really interesting to see when you say restock the farm, what does that actually mean from the players that come back? Is this going to be a load of dudes that are big league ready? And you've, you're effectively swapping money for lower money and more, more years of control? Is that the model? Listen, I look across to the Rays. What have they just done with Tyler Glasnow? What have they just done with Manny Margot? They've moved money. They've moved talent. They've moved injury risk too, by the way. They've moved that to go and get, what, 11, 12 years of control of guys they really like? That's the model, guys. That's how the Rays operate. And that's how the Marlins are going to operate. If anyone is approaching free agency, and that includes Luis Arias at this point, that includes, you know, Lozado has three years of control. I didn't know that. I only I thought he only had two, but that was my mistake. He's got three years of control, Lozado. He's coming off his best ever season. He's young. You know, starting pitching is like really expensive and hard to acquire. So when you look at who is the most valuable guy right now on the Marlins that could impact the club in 24, for me, it's Luis. It's not Luis Arise. It's Jesus Lozado. Jesus Lozado is that guy. The three years of control. The projectable ace stuff. Number two, at least. Lefty. Absolute stud. This guy's a difference maker. Absolute difference maker for any club. And that is the type of guy that brings you back a sizable haul. It is. <laughs> We're all talking about it on Twitter. I've been talking about it for weeks. I've seen this coming for weeks. That The Marlins either go in a direction where you move Sandy this offseason. Because, well, he can't help you now, and he's going to be very expensive for the Marlins in, in 25. So, we've spoken about that in depth. And I could absolutely see that playing out. If it isn't to be Sandy, because the clubs want to acquire someone that can help them now, which, again, makes sense, then Jesus Azado is the next best option. He's the most reliable guy. He's got three years of control. He's... He's top draw, but the return will be sizable, will be sizable. The rumors then appear that the Marlins and Royals engaged in trade conversations, seemingly. I believe this is Ken Rosenthal reporting this. So like last season and the offseason before, do you remember Pablo Lopez? It was just, you know, it was out there. The Marlins were shopping Pablo. They were actively talking about Pablo Lopez. Everyone knew it. You knew Pablo was going to be moved. You just didn't know who was going to be moved to and what the return was. There was these rumors about the Yankees for Pablo, Gleyber Torres maybe the other way, et cetera, et cetera. In the end, Kim spins a deal with the Twins for Luis Arias, one of the biggest win-win trades ever. Unbelievable trade. But Pablo's name was out there. Everyone knew he was effectively being moved. The two years of control on Pablo, coming off a career year. This sounds kind of familiar, guys, doesn't it? Multiple years of control, career year. This is Jesus Lozado again. But the question here with Lozado is, and the return, is what direction the Marlins go? Because they went win-win. They went win-win with Kim Ang. She was in win-now mode. Joe Pissarro called this out to me on Twitter the other day, saying, Pete, there is no, the, with the playoffs extended like they are, there isn't like an all-in notion now. You play 500 ball, you're in the mix. You've got a chance of, of getting in. And Joe is completely right on that. There is no need to go all-in. 
because with with an extra spot, extra wild card, you know, it opens up the field a lot more than it ever used to. So it's a really good point. But getting back to this point around Jesus Azado and the trade rumors, we haven't heard any teams specifically mentioned. I would say thus far or reported on. But what we did here was the Royals. The Royals, to me, um, you know, every offseason it feels like you have a team that all of a sudden thinks our window is opening. We've been dormant for years. Dormant. Now is our time. And the Royals seemingly feel that this is their time. And so the Royals, seeking pitching, by all accounts anyway, they ended up exchanging or starting conversations around Jesus Lozado. And the reported name back, um, from a Royals perspective anyway, was Vinny P. Don't get me to pronounce his surname. It's not happening. It's going to be Vinny P. Who's <laughs> um, a first baseman. Multiple years of control. And whilst, whilst I like the profile of the player, Vinny, Vinny P, <laughs> I do like the profile. But I must say, I... I would be pretty underwhelmed if that was, if it ended up being like a one for one, for example, Lozado for Vinny P. Like, I, again, Vinny P's profile looks interesting for sure, but it's not quite where I feel like the Marlins need to go. I feel like there's other needs. So I was pretty surprised, to be honest with you, to hear that like talks were centering around those two players. With the and the Royals now, I, I believe you know they've gone off and signed tons of free agents. So the Royals' need, I think, has shifted and moved away from Jesus Cesaro. But I, I found it really interesting that that was the type of player we're talking about, and that goes into it when we're talking about a big trade that restocks the farm. Actually, well, that trade, it, you know, that's not going to restock the farm. That's basically going to, you know, you're going to take away from your pitching and you're going to add to your offense in the at the big league level. The question is, is would it have been a type of deal where it's like Vinny P plus a couple of prospects that may be like a double A level type of thing where you stock the farm, you get some more offense and okay, you take away a pitcher. So maybe that's where the Marlins heads at here. And that's the type of deal that they're looking to swing here for Jesus Azado. Again, it's trying to work out like what, what information do we know? What can we see happening? What is this kind of package looking like? And what this seems to be is the Marlins are looking to maybe do both. They may be looking to plug a gap on the big league roster, swapping out Lozado, <coughs> adding user control with that, and adding into adding extra players into the deal that they believe can be big leaguers in the future. That, to me, looks to be the profile, which makes sense. This is the, the Rays way. You're looking for guys that are near or big league ready with multiple years of control that you're swapping for Jesus Lozado, um, potentially, I mean, I keep saying Jesus, it doesn't have to be Lazardo, but if it's to be this year, Lazardo is the most sure thing that teams can acquire with three years of control. That's highly valuable. I know people talk about Eddie Cabrera, but Eddie Cabrera is absolutely not a sure thing. And thus, the trade value attributed to Eddie Cabrera, I know he's got the years of control. He does, but he's got zero options and he's got He's got flaws in his game that he still needs to work on. And we all know that. And we saw that first time with Eddie Cabrera. They've been trying to show, they've been trying to move Eddie Cabrera for a while now, and they can't they can't get a, a match for whatever reason. So if the Marlins are gonna do a blockbuster, it's either with Sandy Alcantara, which would be a long-term projectable move for a club. It'd be where the club is thinking, our window is about to open, maybe. 
We have the budget and we want to acquire Sandy and his contract right now. And we're happy to give a ton of prospects. Or you go and get the player, the pitcher that can impact your club this year and the next year and the year after that. And frankly, he's young enough where you can absolutely extend him, much like the Twins did. This is the interesting thing for the Marlins. When you consider the Rays and their their model, their model is sell everyone before they reach free agency. We're all talking about extensions for Arias. We're talking about extensions for Lazardo. I'm just not seeing that in the future, guys. I'm not. I just don't think that's the model. These guys are too expect like if the if the salary, the budget is going to be 85 to 100 million, then it's really hard to have guys on that roster that are like earning 20 million a year. And that's, you know, they've done well in acquiring Luis Arias. They've done well in acquiring Sandy Alcantara. But frankly, they can't afford them. They can't afford them once they're into late arbitration or if they try to extend them, uh, you know, at kind of normal value, let's say. That's the wrong way of phrasing it, but you know what I'm saying. They can't afford that price tag. They can't. So we're talking about extensions. The only reason you can extend them is to add value in the trade perspective. And this is what I really love from a Dodgers perspective with this Glasnow trade. Um, By the way, it's a huge risk with Glasnow. He is an ace when he's on the field, but he's never on the field. He's not on the field anywhere near enough. And so for me, the Dodgers are buying a, they're buying the upside, but boy, oh boy, it comes with huge risk. But what they did, and I really enjoyed with this trade, is they fully de-risked it. It wasn't, we're going to send you two guys that we like, get Glasnow back, and see if we can extend him. Maybe we can. The Dodgers have flipped the script on this one. They have said, the deal is will only happen and is reliant on Glasnow signing an extension first. The Dodgers fully de-risked it. I love it. Absolutely loved it. Maybe this is why the Dodgers are a better organization and a better run organization than the New York Yankees. You got to look at the Yankees, right? They've just sent a ton of capital over to acquire Juan Soto. A one-year rental. No commitment beyond. And... You know, all the messaging coming out from that one Soto presser was, uh, you know, he's going to free agency. So for me, I love what the Dodgers did with Glasnow. The Yankees took a huge risk. I'm not sure it's going to pay off. But just imagine if the Yankees flipped the script and said, listen, this deal is only happening. This deal is only happening if we're able to extend one Soto first. Would have been a game changer for them. Would have been. I don't know how I've segued into this conversation about Juan Soto and the Yankees and the Dodgers and uh, and Glasnow. I know it connected to the race somehow, but I've completely forgotten how I've got here. <laughs> but I think the point I was trying to say was these these guys that the Marlins can't afford. Um, you know, maybe the only reason they would extend some of these guys, um, like you know, Luis Arias extension. You'd extend Luis Arias maybe at this point to maybe cost control him for the next year or two. Maybe take a little bit of a um, a lower value, you pump up the value in the future years and actually you look to move him. You know, that's the that's the value of an extension here maybe where you extend to trade at some point. Control your next year or two where maybe your window is kind of still open at the big league level. and But it gives you that extra year, those extra years of control at whatever value you can agree. And then 
Maybe your trade asset looks even more interesting. Either way, I think there's a lot to ponder on. Marlon's Twitter definitely is feeling in a state of frenzy. There's not been much action on the field, but off the field, I feel like the Marlins thus far, this offseason, it's been a dub. Feels like there's a big trade coming, and it's going to be centered around one of the expensive guys. Who's that going to be? Well, all the rumors are pointing towards Jesus Lozado. And like last offseason, when we were talking about Pablo Lopez, there, where there's smoke, there is fire. And I get the sense that Jesus Lozado, this offseason, is going to be traded to someone. What that package looks like, up for debate. But the early signs are it's going to be big league or very near to big league ready guys. More control, less cost. That's the profile, guys. That's what the Rays do. And fundamentally, that's what the Marlins are looking to emulate. Thanks for joining me on Lockdown Marlins and making Lockdown Marlins your first listen, guys. Happy Saturday. Have a great weekend. I look forward to seeing you Monday.